Welcome to the first quarter conference call for GWK Investment Management. This call represents the views and opinions of GWK Investment Management and does not constitute investment advice, nor should it be considered predictive of any future market performance. On the call today is Harold Kotler, CEO and Chief Investment Officer, Bill Sterling, Global Strategist, and Jim McCarthy, Partner and Director of Private Client Services. As always, we'll, let, we'll start out with Harold with some opening comments. Well, what a period of time we live in. I guess it's better to be living in it than not being around to see it. But it's really pretty uh, difficult period with what's happening in Europe, uh, Asia. The, the bright spot is the United States, where things are going very well for our, our economy and because the fear of inflation and Fed policy is overriding the stock and bond market at this point. So we'll talk in some detail uh, how we see the U.S. markets and the world markets. But my bottom line is I don't think we're going to end up in a recession. And I think we will modify and moderate the rate of inflation through Fed policy. And I think that the markets are confused as they're in this world of Dante's Inferno, neither heaven or hell, and the in-between is always the most difficult to navigate. But I think right now we're in the worst of times and it will get far better as the year progresses. Thanks, Harold. Um, first, I'm going to start off with the U.S. economy and turn it over to Bill. Um, so the U.S. economy posted strong growth in the fourth quarter of 2021. Uh, the job market continues to improve and the housing market and consumer continue to show strength. As the inflation numbers have continued to rise in 2022, how has the economy fared? How long do you feel the U.S. economy can withstand this higher level of inflation? You know, Jim, as you said, um, you know, the last year was very strong in the fourth quarter. And even though the first quarter this year may look uh, sluggish on a seasonally adjusted annual rate, maybe 1% or so, um, year on year, it's still growing double digits, um, top top line nominal GDP. Um, I think peak stimulus, both monetary stimulus and fiscal stimulus is behind us. So you can expect that nominal GDP to slow down over the course of the year. And that means we probably will see inflation slow down. Um, the big question is going to be the trajectory. How quickly is that glide path uh, you know, to lower inflation? And what does it mean for Fed policy? But if you look at consumer balance sheets, they're very strong. Uh, corporate balance sheets are very strong. Uh, corporate profits, very strong, a lot of momentum in the economy uh, that can continue, but that diminished stimulus does mean it's probably going to moderate going forward. Thanks, Bill. Um, we're going to touch on a few topics um, of inflation, and first, uh, hand it over to Harold. So, energy and food prices continue to rise and are adding significantly to the headline inflation. Uh, with added pressures from the war in Ukraine, it does not seem like there's much relief on the horizon. Um, though often discussed as inflationary, in the past you've said these can be deflationary to the economy. Can you talk about the implications of food and energy prices remaining elevated you know, through this year into next year? Well, I do think it has a sobering and deflationary effect on the economy. Uh, the good news is the consumer is uh, very wealthy, high savings rates, low unemployment, wage increases, 
So at this point, they can afford it. So clearly the numbers impacting the overall inflation. Um, but if it were to be extended and the Fed does uh, reduce the growth rate of this economy, then those same statistics uh, will help the Fed reduce the growth rate because it will take money out of the consumer's pocket. I mean, we have a, a Chinese economy that's growing at zero right now, taking some pressure off commodity. Uh, I happen to think the war in Europe will be over much earlier than most people think. I happen to think uh, the end of the Nazi uh, war in World War II will be the celebration to end this one, May 8th, I believe. And, and things will change dramatically at that point. So it's 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 an evil, right? But today, because of the consumer is so wealthy, it's not impactful. But if it were to continue, it'd be very impactful. Thanks, Harold. Um, so outside of food and energy, um, I'll ask Bill to comment on this. Uh, some experts have started to indicate that we might be seeing peak inflation. Um, we did see some improvement in areas such as car prices and shipping costs, some of the um, supply issues that we saw from COVID. Um, do you feel that we could be near peak inflation in those areas, Bill? And um, also with the current lockdowns in China, could that sort of add back to the pressures? You know, I think barring another spike in energy prices, um, and I agree with Harold, hopefully the worst is behind us on that side. Um, we're likely to see, you know, the March-April inflation numbers be the peak of this cycle. Most economists expect that we'll see the, the Fed's preferred measure of inflation, the, uh, the PCE price deflator, running around 4% by the end of the year, which is still uncomfortably high for the Fed, but probably go into the mid-2% level by the middle of 2023. If it stays on that uh, glide path, I think, um, you know, that would be a great thing. And, you know, these these uh, signs that we're seeing of used car prices, new car prices, lumber prices, um, you know, coming off are, uh, are encouraging. At the end of the day, though, the labor market is pretty critical, too, because wages have been running around 5.5% uh, versus productivity at 2. So that's where, you know, the Fed's, you know, concern that the, the inflation could be a little stickier than it wants to see. And we're just going to have to see how that plays out. Thanks, Bill. Um, Harold, uh, another area of inflation, the housing market, um, you know, lack of homes on the market has led to higher prices, inflated rental prices. Um, now with the standard 30-year fixed mortgage rate passing 5% and, and short-term rates looking to move up pretty rapidly at the next few Fed meetings, do you think these higher lending rates could slow inflation on housing? And are you worried about a downturn in the housing market in coming years? Yes, it will slow the housing market with rates above 5% on a mortgage. Um, no, it won't slow the, the long term. I think, I think we really have to distinguish the next year as, as Bill highlights versus two, three years out. If this is just an aberration caused by the obvious issues that we've talked about on ad nauseum, then in a year from now, a year and a half, if inflation's at four and a half on the way to three and a half or two and a half, we're not going to have a recession. Yeah, there'll be shifts and the housing industry will slow down and mortgage rates will be higher than they've been 
and it will discourage some people from buying. On the other hand, there's a shortage of housing and rents are rising and the people have to live somewhere and they want to leave the homes of their parents and other people want a second home knowing what happened during COVID. So there's a lot of pressure to continue to uh, buy homes and the wealth is being created in this country and many cities will continue doing extremely well. Obviously, it's going to be geographic dependent. But um, even if it's a slowdown, it doesn't mean it's a secular slowdown. I think secularly, it's going to be ever-growing housing market because there is a shortage. But of course, it could be a cyclical uh, slowdown. But I think we really have to shift uh, from a cyclical attitude to a secular attitude. And secularly, I think we're all in great shape. That's not what people say, because people like to take the last two points on the chart and extrapolate them and get a uh, conclusion. And I think that's uh, in, inappropriate and it's going to be wrong. Thanks, Harold. I'm going to move on to the Federal Reserve and the bond market. Um, first questions for Bill. You know, markets are analyzing every comment from the Federal Reserve to try and determine how fast they will move rates, how high rates ultimately will go, how large the rate moves might be. Um, what is the Fed's expected Fed funds rate in the future? And what is the market expecting? Um, and also, how quickly do they get there? And you know, what does inflation have to look like for them to pause at that point? Yeah, Jim, well, you know, clearly, as you indicate, the uh, Fed watchers have had their hands full this year as Fed rhetoric has become increasingly hawkish in view of the uh, inflation situation. So uh, we started the year with um, most uh, market participants thinking there might be, say, three rate hikes this year of 25 basis points, three or four, something like that. And now the market is pricing in probably 250 basis point rate cuts in the next three FOMC meetings the May, June, and July meetings, and uh, rates getting to, um, you know, being up something like 225 basis points over the course of this year, and then peaking probably around 3% next year. That's more or less what's priced in now. Um, you know, those forecasts in the past haven't always worked out um, because the Fed will always adjust its thinking, uh, looking at what's happening to the, uh, you know, the inflation rate and the growth rates uh, month by month as those uh, data come in. Um, but I think, uh, you know, given the base case assumptions about the economy and that glide path of inflation uh, that I mentioned before, I think the 3% peak rate scenario looks pretty reasonable, and they'll probably be there um, fairly early next year, given the path they're on right now. Uh, if and when they see a two-handle on their favored inflation measure, um, I think they'll be very inclined uh, to pause and let, let's see if the normalization from this crazy COVID world, um, you know, begins to help out on the supply side of things and we get back to, towards their 2% target. Thanks, Bill. Um, Harold, I know our clients would like to hear your thoughts about the bond market. Uh, it's been one of the more challenging quarters we've seen in 40 years. And you know, we've seen a two-year treasuries rise to 2.7%, a 10-year treasury to almost 3%, come off those levels a little bit here. Um, and as we've mentioned in the past, and bond markets get ahead of what the Fed's going to do because the Fed's telling us what they're going to do. Um, do you feel the bond market has overreacted? Is it fairly priced? Um, do, do you think long-term rates could continue to move higher? 
I think the bond market is actually coming exciting for the first time in five years. Uh, obviously, I built a business on bonds and have been not the best, biggest fan of bonds in the last few years, given the low interest rates. But given what's happened in the last six months and to Bill's point, and the spread between municipal bonds and governments, at some point there's municipals yield almost as much as governments yield. And obviously on a that's on a pre-tax basis and after taxes, therefore it's you know it's sixty percent higher. I think it's very interesting. And I think one should be trying to pick away at buying bonds. I'm encouraging our department to really start to extend. Now there's always pushback because the yield curve is fairly flat and they love when up with slope and yield curve, i.e. the longer you go out, the more you make. And that's not the case today. The longer you go out, you make as much as you do on, almost on the shorter end. So it's a little frustrating. On the other hand, I've learned in the third grade that rate times time equals distance. So if you can get a certain rate of return for one year versus seven years, it seems like seven years could be better. And we may have a continued flat yield curve if Bill is right and I'm right. The short rates will go up and long rates will stay close to where they are, the way we'll have a flat yield curve, and it's a great time to be buying bonds. Uh, thanks, Harold. Another one for you. Um, if inflation remains elevated into 2023 and the Fed continues to move short-term rates higher, but economic growth slows significantly, what would happen to the yield curve? Well, again, it's going to depend upon what the perception of a long-term inflation is. Look, if they assume that long-term inflation is embedded in our system and the Fed can't do anything in its power to correct it, the long rates will rise. On the other hand, I go back that the Fed is scared to death of a recession, much more than about inflation, because given all the monetary policy and fiscal policy we've had over these years, the Fed knows that there'd be very little left, uh, and the federal government would have very little left to rekindle growth in this economy. So the fear of a recession, I think, is much greater than the fear of inflation. I mean, right now, inflation is the raise on detra, so that's what they're talking about. But at night, I'm sure they wake up and worry that they don't want to kill this economy. So to your point, if that were to happen, long rates would continue to go up and the bond market would not be a place to be. No, with the stock market, by the way. And that would be not good for stocks or bonds because when you have, if you really have embedded inflation that's not controllable, then it's very hard to price the assets, um, at least in the interim. I don't think that's the problem and I don't think that will be the case. Thanks, Harold. Uh, I'm going to move overseas uh, and get some comments from Bill. Uh, Bill, can you give us an update on international markets and economies? Is inflation having the same impact around the world? Um, how has the war in the Ukraine uh, affected European economic growth? Sure, Jim. Well, pretty much every country in the world is struggling with higher inflation, partly due to the higher commodity prices that affect everyone. We came into the year with most economists expecting that global growth would be about four and a half percent after six percent real GDP growth last year. But for two reasons, 
we've seen big downgrades to that global growth uh, picture. One is obviously uh, Russia's war on Ukraine, uh, which pushed up oil prices. Um, and as Harold said earlier, that acts like a tax on consumers. And the other is China's rolling COVID lockdowns. So the IMF recently came out. Uh, they cut their global forecast almost a full percentage point to about 3.5% now. Um, and it was on those two factors, fairly big cutback in their uh, China outlook and a fairly big cutback in their Europe outlook. Um, you know, so far, um, you know, I think, well, a lot of European data has softened. Um, forecasters think it'll just be slower growth, mid 2% range, um, you know, not not an outright recession. But, um, you know, there's still a question mark uh, of how the, the whole Russia-Ukraine war affects, particularly Europe's energy, because Europe depends, something like 40% of the natural gas comes from Russia, 25% of their oil comes from Russia. Um, you know, so that that's the biggest question mark for European growth is that energy situation. Um, what about China uh, with the recent COVID lockdowns? Um, do you think that'll significantly affect economic growth and what's the outlook over the next year? It'll almost certainly affect the second quarter in China where, you know, analysts uh, had been looking at four and a half to five percent growth year on year as likely in the second quarter. And you may see that revised down to 3%, 2% or less because the COVID lockdowns, which are, you know, now pretty widespread in some of the most uh, important cities in China, the Shanghai area, the Shenzhen area, and now, you know, potentially even Beijing, um, you know, they are um, reacting very uh, strenuously, um, which, you know, is a potential issue for global supply chains that we're keeping our eye on. But, um, you know, the IMF took their number for China down. The China's targeting 5.5% growth, but the IMF thinks it'll be 4.4%. Um, and nobody really knows the exact contour of when this these rolling COVID lockdowns uh, will end because uh, President Xi is expected to be appointed kind of a leader for life in the fourth quarter at some time and doesn't want to relent on the zero COVID strategy uh, until that event is behind him. So it, it could be, you know, later this year or early next year when um, they they move to a more aggressive learning to live with COVID strategy like the rest of the world. Thanks, Bill. Um, moving back to the U.S., uh, just wanted to talk about the equity markets for a second. Um, Harold, you know, equity markets have experienced a bumpy first quarter, have hit correction territory a few times. Um, you know, we've talked about all the, the reasons, inflation, what the Fed will do, the war in Ukraine. Um, do you feel that if we see progress in some of these areas, the Fed gets started here, inflation maybe starts to moderate, maybe, as you mentioned, maybe we see an end to, to the war. Do you think U.S. equities are attractive at these levels, you know, based on what we're seeing with economic growth and earnings? I want to take two seconds and review where we are in this country. Consumers have excess savings higher than it's most historically it's ever been. Corporations have never been in better shape. They refinance at low interest rates and have their debt really in, well in hand. The banks are overcapitalized. They have money to lend. State and local governments got all this benefits from the COVID funds and uh, flush with cash. The U.S. government can do whatever it wants to do because there's the printing press. So where's the problem? What's the problem? 
Why is anybody upset? Ah, inflation. Now, let's look at that. Let's see. There's a war in Europe. China is shut down. COVID is still as a problem in and out around the world. People are trying to get back to a normalized life. There's so much disruption. How could you make any assessment about really what's going to happen in this six, nine months? So stock market hates that. It hates the the inability to, even though you're supposed to discount the market stocks 10 years in advance, and it's a present value analysis and all that good Graham and Dodd stuff, when it comes to psychology and money management and human element overplaying into the stock market, people worry and they get concerned and they take the immediate problem and they it, it just dominates their way of thinking. So yes, the market is under a lot of pressure and values have, yes, they were too high and I'm sure they're gonna get too low. And it's the opportunity of a lifetime, once again, like it was in 2020, to buy cheap. And once again, you have to stick with the program, you have to invest smartly, you have to diversify, but you can't run away from this market independent of what pricing is doing. The pricing will never reflect the reality at any given time. It's always emotional, psychological, and you just have to ride through the ebbs and flows. Thanks, Harold. Um, one more question on this topic uh, for Bill. Um, earnings growth was strong in the first quarter. Um, I think it, it's looking good so far here um, in earnings season. Um, what are the expectations for earnings growth this year, and how long can earnings hold up considering the impact of inflation? Well, Jim, I think companies have been remarkably nimble in terms of dealing with this inflationary environment, in many cases passing on price increases, preserving their margins. And, um, you know, bottom-up analysts are still pretty optimistic about the 2021 earnings picture with earnings expected to be up 10% or so. And they're penciling in 8 to 10% type numbers for next year, too. Next year, I think, is the biggest question mark. If the Fed keeps raising rates, its intention is to slow the economy. And so you may see some of those earnings uh, estimates come down. But as Harold mentioned, the, the, Harold mentioned the long-term uh, picture is what ultimately matters for the equity markets. So uh, even if there are bumps in the road, um, looking out into 2020, uh, 2023 or 2024, um, you know, the whole intent of Fed stabilization policy is to lay the groundwork for, um, you know, stable growth looking out over the next three to five years. I don't know if people remember, but I wrote a quarterly letter, I think it was a year ago, maybe less, and I said, go to sleep, wake up in 2023, because the next two years are going to be all over the place. I wrote it, and I believe it. I agree with what Bill just said. Talk to me in 23 and tell me where things are. But to anticipate the ebbs and flows of the next 18 months, pretty complicated. Um, just final thing. I know you mentioned it already a little bit, Harold, but um, any other thoughts on, you know, the Russia-Ukraine war and, you know, how it might end and what Russia's doing now? It's, it's such a pity. To me, it's a civil war. Yeah, I'm sure it's 
brother against brother, the Ukrainian and the Russian people uh, have been <laughs> one in country for many years under the Soviets. And uh, most of people that I know with Russian descent, uh, grandparents and great-grandparents were born in the Ukraine. So it's, it's a pity. Um, I understand that the, the Russians didn't want to be circled by the NATO and were feeling intimidated, but Putin could have worked out a deal without invasion. And um, I'm sure we're going to have a neutral uh, Ukraine. I mean, he's really, I wrote this, I, he, he, woke, he awoke NATO and he, he woke up Germany and he, NATO was in decline, as, as President Trump would say. And Germany had no interest in building a military. And now both those things have been reversed. I don't think he, he's getting anything that he wants, except that he may get the eastern Ukraine, he may get Odessa, he may get some ports. And I'm hoping that there's some neutrality. I mean, we have uh, peacekeeping missions all over the world, we'd be in the NATO or the UN, uh, and maybe we can reconcile this difference and stop the war and give them some piece of the East in Ukraine. And uh, he's not going to conquer the whole country. That's off the table. And he knows that. So uh, I'm hoping it ends. I'm hoping hostility ends quickly. It's a pity. Thank you, Harold, and thank you, Bill. Um, and thank you, everyone, for listening this quarter. This concludes our call. As always, please do not hesitate to reach out with further questions. Thank you.